Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair and beauty source and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today. Organissima New York. Your beauty is our duty. What's up, party people? This is Kwame, and you are rocking with Chatters That Matter right here. Keep it locked. All right, peace. This is Rick Aaron, and you're watching Chatters That Matter with Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce and Hurricane. Keep it locked. Hey, 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 you know me. It's Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD, the celebrity doc. And you are here with chatters that matter. Let's talk about it. And I am here with my co-host, my show host, Hisham Elenmati, Hurricane H. What's up, And we are here this month for this particular episode Celebrating Autism Awareness. This is a big topic. It's an important topic because there are a whole host of people in our population now that have the diagnosis of autism and some who even don't have the diagnosis yet, but who clinically are showing signs of having autism. A lot of people have grown into adulthood and, you know, have concerns about their own behavior, you know, they were the misunderstood kid or, or whatever the case may be, and don't realize it was autism, and they just never got a diagnosis. So a lot of times they never got the help or the, the guidance or the understanding to deal with themselves and their special characteristics. We all have special characteristics and people with autism are particularly gifted in many ways. They have different ways of, of thinking, often magnificent ways of thinking, and many times are in the genius spectrum on the IQ level. Some of the more important inventors that we have have no doubt been on the autism spectrum, as were people like Einstein. So uh, let's talk about autism. To help head off this talk today, we have a very special guest, Hot Mike. Hot Mike, for those of you who do not know him, this is the producer for none other than MC Hammer. We also have joining us in the show, Kia Shine. Hello. Hey, 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 Kia. How are you? Doing fabulous. Doing I do apologize. Fabulous. Just, getting, just getting off the plane. I had to get back from, we had to speak at the uh, Shelby County government Um of the uh, commission, the commissioners of uh, Shelby County government today uh, about autism. And, um, and we got back, just got back off the plane just now with my wife. So, and it was a little bit delayed getting from Memphis back to Atlanta, but how are you doing this evening? Everything all right? 
everything's all right. We're just thrilled to have you here joining us. And so, so we, since you were the first man up to, to, to speak, uh, we are going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Um, Kia Shine is a, a, an actor, uh, music uh, producer, uh, rapper, correct? Yes, ma'am. That is yes. correct. Um, yeah, and an autism advocate, as you can see here. And an autism I'm, advocate. You know what I'm indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah, I've actually, uh, I started my career um, uh, producing um Starting with uh, Yo Gotti, I signed him very early in his career. Uh, I put out albums on the chat, Skinny Pimp, Gangster Black, a lot of artists that are independent from Memphis um, that were doing their thing. And then I kind of went and got my own deal um, and, mm -hmm. and went to that that's so crispy and the hip hop vibe and the whole wave. Ended up writing Drake's coat, best I ever had, and doing that thing. And and then um, from there, kind of did a beeline over to to film and television um, after losing my mom and father to cancer. And um, yeah, just been doing the the film and television thing since then. I think my first thing nationally I was in was Atlanta uh, with mm -hmm. Donald Gurd and I was in Superfly. Um, that was a big thing for me. And then like, I've been in like Star, I've been on uh, with Brandy and uh, Queen Latifah, I've been on uh, Johnson, I've, I've been a character on Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, and more more recently, I have a, a new um, movie on the way out with Jamie Foxx and Keep for Sutherland and John Boyega. It's called, and I think Jamie just had a medical seizure today too. I'm trying to figure out what's what? going on with. I just heard about that. Yeah. Oh my. Um, so I'm going to be checking with Brian when I hang up this car. Um, because we got. Make sure you get home. back to us and let us know about that. Okay. Yeah, because I, I just I just heard about that, and um, I'm I'm going to make sure he's okay, but. We have a movie called Bay Clone Tyrone that I'm that I'm in, and it's going to be on Netflix July 21st. It's going to be premiering at the Black Film Festival this year. Um, okay, so, perfect. Yeah. So, but nonetheless, um, right now this month, I'm just heavy on the autism awareness and acceptance because April is World Autism Month, and I have a son, Jameson, who's in the other room in there, and, uh, <laughs> and he is uh, he's a special my special genius boy. Uh, with autism, he has, was diagnosed with severe autism, nonverbal, but he will be speaking. Um, and nice. uh, when he was uh, when he was two, and he's now twelve now. And um, yeah, it's just been my whole advocacy. People look their whole life for their purpose in something that they could give to. Well, God put my purpose in my lap, right, with my son, and being able to be an advocate and standing in solidarity with him as well as parents like me, as well as other kids like him with different abilities. So that's been our mission. And we just been turning up the gas this month because we just released our new website, autismadvocates.org, which is mm -hmm. a place to build community for those that have little babies and little kings with special abilities, you know what I'm saying? With different right. abilities. You know? Right, right. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that experience of becoming the, the parent of a child with special needs it is such a humbling experience. I also had a child with special needs and um, from it, I founded the Gregory Center for Exceptional Children and Families. And mm. at the time that I founded it, um, I actually thought that it was going to be for children with uh, developmental disabilities. And we were still in the process really of putting it together when the media found out that we were doing it. And so they asked to come out and uh, interview us, a bunch of women sitting around with literally curlers in our hair and stuff, you know, planning this out. And it's like, sure, when, you, when would you like to come? And they're like, well, we're on our way right now. So that 
launched the Gregory Center overnight. Literally, I had to turn off all of my phones because people were blowing up the phones. And what the interesting thing about it was the majority of the calls came from parents of children with autism because there was such need for information, for yes. support, for community. Yes. yes. I truly agree with that fact that there's been an underserved community with resources seem to be limited um, as it pertains to autism. And mm-hmm. um, and we we just, my wife and I, over the last decade, we're dealing with our son, we, we, we realized that and we're like, well, look, we've got to step it up and we've got to just start to build community and transfer this information and talk and just trying to figure this thing out. You know what I mean? It takes a village to raise any kid, but the, with a child with, with a different ability, it takes more than a village. It takes almost a city. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just being able to, to be that. Because a lot of times when you have a child with, with a, with a learned disability or different abilities, excuse me, um, it's going to be an isolating thing, you know? Yes. You can feel, yes. feel very isolating. So you, you, you want to, we, we need a safe space for individuals like ourselves to be able to come and talk, to be able to share ideas, feelings, and just, you know, and communicate. So that's what we're super excited about, autismadvocates.org and building a community and getting out here and just starting the conversation, spreading awareness, acceptance. It's like awareness, acceptance, and then inclusion. Inclusion. And inclusion is the the, the big part. And that was yes. really a good chunk of the reason that we started the, the Gregory Center, because we wanted the inclusion. We wanted these children to be, you know, part of their their friends, part of their community, part of, yeah. of, of, of life. And at that time, children who had disabilities, whether it was autism or a, a developmental disability, were, you know, they were pretty much squirreled away in the in the closet. They were dirty laundry yeah, or something that you had to hide. And uh, we really wanted to bring them out and show that they are not disabled. They are yeah. differently abled and they can contribute so much to the community. Now, hold that thought because I want to tap in with Hot Mike who has a completely different perspective on this. You and I are talking as as parents of children with disabilities um, or different abilities. And Mike is coming from the uh, angle of someone who has had to deal with it personally. Indeed, so, that's, that's correct. Hot yes. Mike, if you can tell us uh, all about yourself and what your journey has looked like. Well, um, for... For those who haven't uh, Googled, done the Googles yet <laughs> with me, <laughs> uh, I did, uh, uh, my biggest project was with Capitol Records. I uh, didn't uh, produce MC Hammer, wrote music for him, did composition. Um, he had an entire stable of artists uh, and I've worked with all of them. Um, so my primary introduction into the music industry was through him. And uh how that happened is we both met when we were in the military, when we, neither one of us knew anything about the music industry. And, and so why did this guy named MC Hammer turn up in the music industry? Well, partly because of this kid that came into the military, I finally had some money because that was part of my plan. Uh, (laughs) And I started buying musical equipment because when I was much younger, my parents could not afford lots of musical equipment because 
they would buy a piece of equipment, they would buy a musical instrument, I would learn how to play it, and then they would buy another one, and I would learn how to play that. And so when I was much younger, like from seven to 13, uh, uh, no one really knew what to make of me, even in my own family. Like they were mm -hmm. like, why is he playing all of these instruments? We had no idea, we're not teaching him anything. Mm -hmm. um, so by the time I was in my teens, uh, in, the, uh, er in the late 70s, early 80s, I was being named, that was being dubbed, you know, Prince, like, you know, because that's when he started to come out and he was doing the whole instrument thing. Right. And I knew that if I went into the military, I could get it. I had a check and I could buy instruments. Well, I did that and I bought all these instruments and I jammed them into our barracks room. <laughs> and Hammer was- Did you was, work with the, uh, with the military performing band? I, I did not. That did, I was just in the military just for a job, basically. Okay. And uh, I brought all these instruments and boom boxes and you know, all this stuff into the room. And that was MC Hammer. Uh, now he wasn't MC Hammer at the time. His name is Stanley Kirk Perel. That's his real name. Mm -hmm. And so Stanley was like, oh my goodness. You know, here's this guy that, this kid that plays all these instruments. And, you know, and he just asked me flat out, he said, hey man, can you, let's, can you make some songs that I can rap to? And I was like, sure, I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and that's literally how it started. And wow. at that moment he said, you know what? I'm buying all kinds of custom suits. I'm going to be a rapper and I'm going to take you with me. I promise. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and he did. And he did. And it was he, good for his work. He got, he got out of the military. He was much older than I was. So he got, he was already going through the military. He got out. I was still in. And he did. He actually came back and said, hey, you know, I think I'm going to, I think I got a record deal going and, I want you to come with me. And then the rest is history. Uh, oh, so, history. so how did that whole thing start? Well, it started because when I was much younger, there was something very specifically different about my processes, the way I processed things and the way I mm -hmm. did things. Uh, and if you ask my mother, and I always tell this to people, if you want to know anything about <laughs> the way an autistic child becomes an autistic adult, is you can just interview my parents. Okay. They're, both, they're both still alive. They're both still here. Uh, my mom, I told my mom the other day, I said, you know, uh, a documentary company um, came to me and, and I'm one of six people that they're filming in this documentary, uh, uh, autistic people. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, if you want to know anything about me, just interview them. You know, interview MC Hammer. They will literally tell you everything that you need to know because they all have had to deal with those quirks and those right. things that the routines, you know, the things that right. you, you know, they know them and they have no problem telling anybody. And I said, look, you can, right. you can ask them. Uh, I can tell you all day, but just like that story I mentioned earlier um, about the person who I brought to dinner, <laughs> I don't remember a lot. Uh, uh -huh. Because because of what's called, uh, with most people who are on the spectrum, they have what's called mind blindness. Right. And mind blindness is just simply, I'll do a thing, and I won't remember anything about the details of that thing. But if someone told me, I'd go, yeah, I'll remember something about that. Yeah. But then that's about it. Uh, but uh -huh. uh, a lot of things in my lifetime disappear. So as a person on the spectrum... Uh, and and I'm I'm diagnosed. I'm not mm -hmm. just somebody that's like, hey, I think I'm autistic. I I've, I've been to 
um, universities. They've scanned my brain. I've gone mm-hmm. through the whole concept, uh, whole situation. Right. And one thing that, that I learned about being a person who is on the spectrum, if you do not have a specific gift that can propel you to being able to take care of yourself, as you get older, you are in trouble. Right. You will be taken care of by your parents for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And not because you can't do anything, not because you can't work or not because you're, you know, you don't have the ability to work. I know plenty of people who are on the spectrum and they have jobs and they do well, but those jobs are very, are specialty jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I know a gentleman, his specialty is British European vehicles. That's his specialty. If he wasn't working on those cars, he would be broke. He'd be on the street, homeless. Mm-hmm. But he has a stable of Rolls Royces, Bentleys, <laughs> Range Rover. You know what I'm saying? And he's doing very well because he knows how to fix those vehicles and he never got training for it. And isn't it the case <laughs> that usually there will be something at which people who are on the spectrum are singularly focused upon and they are brilliant at it. That That is correct. Uh, to this day, and, and I, I love talking about this because I have proof of all of this. When I was 16 years old and still in high school, I, I took a sheet of paper and I wrote on that sheet of paper exactly what I was going to do, which was to be a music producer. At the very top, I had music producer. And then at the Uh, all the rest of the way were all of the things that I was going to need to do to get there. Mm -hmm. I still have that piece of paper to this day. It's kind of yellow. It looks like it's burning, (laughs) (laughs) but um, I still have that list. And, and so I've always been singularly focused on, I need to be a producer of music. I need to be a designer of music. I need to be a composer. I need to be all of these things. So one, I have to learn instruments. So that, so this is, this started very young as I have to learn instruments. So that's mm-hmm. why I started playing all these instruments, <laughs> you know, wind instruments, you know, reed instruments, you know, guitar strings, everything. Piano. I start. I just focused on if I learn how to play these, I'll be fine. Then when I went into grade school, that I learned how to read music. So I, le- I learned how to read music. So I was like, okay, this is what this is what a major seventh is. It's a da, da, da. So in my own process, I felt like if I did all of those things, I would be good at being a music producer. Right. To this day, I have people that come up to me and say, hey, man, I remember when you were in the studio at Fantasy Studios and, you know, you did this, you did that. You just walked in the studio. You'd be in there for 30 hours. You wouldn't say anything to anyone. You just left. Yes. Go in and do your job and you're gone. And that's literally what I Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Now, that is something that is typical of people on the autism spectrum. The key thing that you said is you would go in and do your job and not talk to anybody. How much was communication an issue for you as you were coming through? So, so communication was particularly frustrating for the people who 
were work who I was who I would do work with. And in part because because of my hyperfocus, not because I couldn't understand them or they couldn't understand me. The mm -hmm. issue was they just sometimes people just want to do small talk. Mm -hmm. I don't. <laughs> You're not into <laughs> small talk. So unless there's a specific topic of discussion, then I'm in on the discussion, sort of like, you know, when we started out. I'm, right. I'm in on the discussion. Hey, that, that thing happened to me. Let me talk about that thing. Mm -hmm. But then I'm done after that. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and that's, that's particularly devastating <laughs> in TV interviews. I'm sorry. In uh, interviews on radio and things like that, because I can stop talking and then there's just dead air and no one likes that. <laughs> but right. I have <laughs> over, over the years, I've learned to always have, a thought process that's that keeps moving. Yeah. And I, I saw someone do this and I actually appreciated it. I'm not a political person. I, I'm apolitical. I just, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, President, former President Obama is very good at this. When he's talking, he doesn't want to break his thought process. So he pauses on purpose. And when he makes that pause, it causes you to go, is, he's, what's he gonna say? You, you, don't, you don't feel like something's wrong. You feel like, you feel like something's coming. Right. <laughs> and so the, I started- The lean in moment, yes, the pregnant pause. The, the pregnant pause. So I started to mimic, I started to, uh, it's, it's called echolalia. I started to echo what he was doing because mm -hmm. it worked for me. It also keeps me from being a speaker that appears to not know what the topic of discussion is, or I don't have some kind of uh, presence of mind for mm -hmm. the subject. Mm -hmm. Because it's difficult to keep a very specific way of speaking mm -hmm. if you don't know what the topic is. Right. You, right. you get lost very easily. And I yeah. often got lost because sometimes what people were talking about was something I'd never experienced because I don't live like people generally live. You know, I'm not a person right. who goes out at clubs. Um, I have sensory issues, so I can't go to loud places. Uh, uh, some of these places are very dark. And so that is also a sensory issue. I don't like walking around in dark spaces, mm -hmm. even places that are too bright, like department mm -hmm. stores. Uh, mm -hmm. You can ask my mom about that. <laughs> I like to hide in the, I always hid in the clothing things, you know, those little things that right. the they're round racks. and the, the clothing racks. I used to hide in them all the time. Mm -hmm. So they're always losing me. Interesting because you always see kids hiding in those clothing racks, but it never occurred right. to me that some of them might be using them as a tool exactly. to manage their environment as opposed to as a play place. You know, that's that's an interesting thought. And back in the day, if you lost a child, you just go to the front desk and you say, Hey, I lost my child. Can you call them over the, you know, and that happened many times. Mm -hmm. So over time, I understood that that was going to happen. 
So right. every time we went to the department store, that's directly where I would go. And they wouldn't find me until they were ready to go. Because then they would just call me over the <laughs> And I'll just right. go to the right now. I'm like, here I am. They're just like, we're not taking you out anywhere again. <laughs> and that was that, but that kind of way of communicating for me it was was difficult because I really did not have anything to talk about because my main focus was to produce music, was to be in the studio, was to, you know, move faders, you know, plug right. in. Right. Uh, <laughs> okay, so that let's was, talk about that a, a little bit because um, what we're talking about um, is something that now they, they, they coined the term neurodivergent. And um, uh, yes. people who are neurodivergent have a different way of, of, of sensing things, experiencing uh, things, and again, a different way of, of, of thinking. And, and people think of these as, quote, disabilities, but in actuality, they can be great gifts as they have been with you, where, you know, this has, has promulgated you to a, a, a tremendous career, but you're in the entertainment industry where people communicate and where one of the big parts of the entertainment industry is being able to read other people, to read the expressions, the nonverbal cues. How did you deal with that? Because most people on the spectrum have some difficulty with reading those uh, nonverbal cues and with interpreting those nonverbal cues, did you run into that trouble? Yes. Short answer. The way I dealt with it. Okay. Let me put it this way. So there came a point in the span of my lifetime where I recognized that if I did not figure out how to read between the lines, so to speak, when dealing with people's expressions, dealing with sarcasm, dealing with certain types of things that I not just wasn't familiar with, but when I heard those things, those things did not those expressions or or those images did not uh, turn into something that made me feel like I had to respond to it. Mm -hmm. And I started to see how people were, no, I, I started to see how it was affecting my ability to work, especially mm -hmm. in the entertainment field, because there's so much that's unspoken there's so much that people say, well, we want your idea on this, or we want your opinion on this, or, or what kinds of, you know, things do you think we should do with this? And sometimes I was very brutal. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was working with, I was working at an independent label, Bellmark Records. Bellmark Records was run by Al Bell, who also ran um, Motown at one point. He started at Stax Records, turned it around, made it a big thing, Sam and Dave, the whole nine, we know that. So Al Bell 
who I really, really dearly just love as a human being because mm -hmm. he kind of he kind of shows some of the same behaviors that I do in terms of communication. He's very blunt, right. straightforward. Mm -hmm. If anybody's met him, they know. Mm -hmm. He told me flatly, uh, because someone called him and said, hey, Mike can, can produce Mike can produce one of your artists, you know, one of your signing signed artists. And so he put me on the phone and he said, Mr. Buckles, you have 40 seconds. <laughs> 40 seconds to convince me that you can produce this group and, and give them hit music. I did it in 38 seconds. Okay. <laughs> and he waited those remaining seconds before he said anything. And he basically said, hey, I'm convinced. Sounds like a plan. I'm flying you out. So when he flew me out, I did the music. Everybody loved it. Um, he did the whole Motown thing, you know, 12, you know, eight out of 12 people, you know, said, mm -hmm. yeah, this is a hit song. Mm -hmm. And they proceeded to start processing the song through, you know, the wheels of, you know, production. Right. So I, I did the music, created it, composed it, uh, matched it up to the band. There was guitar players, there was this mm -hmm. player, you know, whatever. And so when that all happened, he said, well, I have a team here that's going to do some remixes and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And I said, cool, that's fine. And he said, I just need you here so that when the remixes come out, I want you to give me your honest opinion about what those remixes sound like. And, uh -oh. <laughs> and, I, feel it <laughs> and I did. <laughs> uh, well, I told him, I said, hey, you know what, you know, the sweet spot is 432 hertz and uh, 85 dB, you know, between 80 and 85. And I'm not hearing, you know, the proper amount of bass. And this sounds a little tinny. And and boy, the guy who did the remixes did not like that. So I bet he didn't. <laughs> that ruined my relationship <laughs> with the producer, not with Mr. Bell. Uh, Mr. Bell actually appreciated that. He actually... He actually really was um, impressed with my ability to hear what I was hearing. And, but that just came from years and years and years of being in studios and understanding equipment and understanding, you know, uh, sonic resonance and all these other different things that I had just been exposed to over time. And so when I mentioned those things in real time <laughs> on a particular product or project uh, that was disturbing to some people who just like to go into the studio and turn stuff all the way up yes. um, or turn or back things down and then not equalize them and all of that. Right. So I understand how that works and how to make it work with equipment. And I just let him know, I'm like, look, this could be better. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I did the music, so I know it can be better. And uh, it, it wasn't the thing that killed the project, <laughs> but, it, but it didn't help because yeah. because then that guy then went to the artist and said, you know, he don't like my stuff. And then he was just like, how come he don't like your stuff? And then I don't want him on project no more. And, then, and I was basically ghosted off of the project. Mm -hmm. uh, the group didn't come out and they were angry with me because they thought I'd made a boatload of money off of their project and it had never come out yet. And I was just like, no, it's, you know, so. 
my ability to my inability to kind of read the room, so to speak, mm -hmm. became a source of frustration for me because I wanted to keep good relationships with people in that business because all mm -hmm. it takes is one person to just yes. go around and say, you don't want, and you don't want to the deal business with that is person. very small. <laughs> and it and it's not and in no way um is is it easy to recover from that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I understood that that was a problem, that that was an issue that I had to fix because as Kia was mentioning, there's there was nothing there. There was no community that was there to say, okay, this is how he's communicating. This is what's going on. And, you know, there, there was no intermediary. And especially for somebody that looked like me. Yeah, yeah. And now let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because um, talk about invisible children. Black children on the autism spectrum are truly the invisible children and probably some of the least understood people on the planet. Let's talk about what that experience is as a black man on the spectrum. There, there's there's several things that come to mind because of just my own personal experiences. Um, I, I'll I'll just be blunt and just I mean it's all out there on the internet. So, <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. but I, I was married twice. Uh -huh. And divorced uh -huh. twice. Uh -huh. And in part, my marriages did not succeed primarily because, and I'm just speaking on my half of it because I can't speak for them. Right. But on, on my part, it was always difficult to communicate directly with me because I was always very linear in my communication. Right. Uh, I was very businesslike, even in relationships with my wives, which was not, which is not kind of, you know, it's just not cool, but <laughs> I had no other way of knowing how to get my point across except direct. Right. And uh, over time, and I'll explain how I learned this over time. I recognize that when you speak to a female person, <laughs> that there's a whole different set of neurons and synapses and things going off that are going off in me. Now, the one thing that I recognized based on something my mother told me was that, and, and this is where I started to recognize it. So I had a child very early mm -hmm. in, in the first relationship. And my second marriage, that, that ended because, again, no, not communicating right, very dogmatic, not, you know. But as I was raising my daughter, because I uh, eventually had a situation where my daughter was with me 100% of the time, full time. What I learned about women and dealing with girls and, and what they need from us as men is two things. Mm -hmm. uh, I've said this to anybody who would listen. The two things that I realized that my daughter was absolutely in need of from me specifically as a man and as a father is one, relative safety, mm -hmm. 
and relative security. And the reason why I put relative in front of it is because nothing is completely safe and nothing is completely secure. But those are the two major things that if those things were covered by me, she's cool. Mm -hmm. Dad, I need to make, I need to be sure that, you know, this, this, and this. Okay, yes, no problem. Ah, I'm safe. Pops, I need shoes. Do we have, you know, food, security, right? So she's cool. Once I understood that these are major motivating emotional responses that come from girls, women in particular, and even my mm -hmm. mom mentioned this. She was like, yeah, she's like, that's why they target us, you know, in marketing. You know, we buy things in right. threes and fives. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. So she said, this is something that is not new. It's not, you know, so I started to learn that there is another whole, not just way of communicating, but a way of listening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't, people aren't talking to you so that you can listen to them. They have right. body language. They have ways that they're, you know, you can tell when somebody's having a bad day and they don't say anything. Yes. So those things I started to pick up as I was raising my daughter. This mm -hmm. took an entire decade of me just not being with in any other relationship, just dealing with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And my mother said something to me. She was just like, I have no idea how you're raising this daughter because you do not have one feminine bone in your body. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I think and, and and I feel like that that statement comes from the fact that I'm very Spock-like in yes. how I deal with things. Yes. And so she could not understand. Well, how are you teaching her how to do her hair and how to you know da da da? And I said, I just I just do the hair. I just I look it up in a manual. Say, okay, you got to twist it this way, and boom, there you go. But you can't teach somebody how to do their hair that way. Right. And that and that was the whole point, which is why over time, eventually, you know, a family friend was like, boy, just bring over my husband and my house and we gonna do your girl's hair. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I understood that there were certain things that if I opened up a manual, I could do them because that's the way yes. my brain works. Uh, I did that in the military, mm -hmm. but that's not the way you run life. Right. And it took me until I was in my late 40s and right as I was turning 50, that's when it kind of clicked. And I was and I was really starting to kind of key in on how to read people. And if mm -hmm. I was going off on a topic or a subject, I would stop myself and go, time to listen. You know, I right. literally had to do that. Like, right. So. So. The frustration caused cost marriage marriages that I had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It cost some level of communication that could have gone better with my daughter. I always tell people like I, I could have done that better, but I just you know, anytime you're talking, but you did it and you stayed the course. So I stayed the course. You know, um, a, a, a applause. Well, I and, and often I appreciate the applause. I'm humbled by any any of that. But the bottom line is, you know, we all have circumstances and responsibilities that no matter how hard we try or 
or whether we want to or not want to. In my case, I, I loved it. But we have to follow through. We have to do the thing because, like Hurricane said earlier, you know, time just... <laughs> It just keeps moving forward. It's not, you know, she was going to be like, you know, six, seven, eight. Right. It's just, that was just going to keep happening. Whether I wanted now, it to happen. Now, was she on the spectrum as well? So I never got, we never got a chance to determine that. Mm -hmm. um, and and sadly, now we, we, we won't have a chance because she's passed away. But, um, and, and, that's probably a story that I don't want to talk about at the moment because that's still very fresh. Uh, she passed away in 2016. So uh, as my adult, condolences on that as, as one who has also lost a child, thank you, not thank a club you. you want to be in. It is definitely not a club. And, and just a, a, a bit of information that I learned about that. Um, there's, there's actually, there's expressions for someone who is, who loses a spouse, you know, widow or widower. There's expressions for someone who, um, you know, a child when they lose parents, an orphan. But there's no expression in any language. And I'm sure you know this. I'm sure you've been through it all. You've heard it out. There's no expression in any language for a parent that loses a child. None. Because it's completely out of sync I, with I, when, the normal routines of, of life. And we can't make it make sense. When I learned that, I it it really hit me just how unnatural that is exactly and, and so there's nothing that people can actually say but the one thing that i always go back on is all of the good things that we did the things that we shared together the things that she learned about me uh, the frustrations we both had you know mm -hmm. turned into mm -hmm. laughs later you know in her yes. 20s yeah so it was eye-opening. I learned a lot about how I had to teach myself how to be uh, as, as great a communicator as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I read a lot of books, you know, books like books like this one, if you could, if I, if this shows up right. Uh, think and Grow Rich. Yeah, Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I actually put things in my head on purpose to say, okay, maybe there's another way to, to do things so that I can get different kinds of results yes. for myself. And so that's what I did. I actually started feeding myself information. Since I don't watch TV, I don't own a television set. <laughs> and I, you know, my grandmother back when I was a toddler told me that the television was the devil's eyeball. So <laughs> I, she, she told me that and I was like, okay, I'll, I am never. <laughs> and, 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 and you're very concrete and literal. About that. <laughs> That's yeah. one of the things with, yeah. the, with the autism spectrum is if you say something, you better be real clear about what you're saying because they will take it and she, run with it as gospel. <laughs> once she told me that I was like, okay, I will never own a television ever. And so I, I, I don't to this day uh, for, wow, what is that? Like 50 years. Now. but uh -huh. um but again the it's i always use the word frustration versus you know something that's a word that describes something that's more tragic because right. frustration for me is everything mm -hmm. frustration for somebody who's on the spectrum is everything right because <laughs> you can become frustrated by the smallest things right if something doesn't smell right It'll ruin right. everything about your sensory circumstances, um, and 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 it'll stop you from doing everything. 
I, I can't stand the smell of cigarette smoke. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going somewhere and someone's just standing in front of the building smoking where they're supposed to, it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter that they're doing the right thing. My sensory circumstances are like, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going home. Just, I'm done. <laughs> I'm smelling smoke in the whole, okay. You know, uh, and, and that, that's real because you don't want those kinds of things to control the way you deal with people because it comes right. out in communication. Right. You know what I mean? It's like those frustrations are always verbalized because you want people to understand that you're hurt in some kind of way. And that is something that I did from the time that I was very small to now even. And I, and again, I still have to catch myself. I still have to go, you know, that's no one's going to be okay with that, bro. You're going to have to change. And as, <laughs> and as, and as, and as a, and as a black man, as a, you know, indigenous, whatever you want to call me, the expectation is, you know, he's, he's either athletic, he's funny, he's entertained, you know, he's, you know, something he's gotta be cool. There's, there's gotta, gotta be cool. cool. There's something about that, you know, cause he's, you know, and I'm none of those things. <laughs> I'm completely, I'm nerd central, you know, <laughs> but what I had to learn was that you cannot diffuse detach, cancel other people's expectations. But I did learn this, and this is actually biblical, by the way. It's another book that I really enjoy. And that is dropping all of your expectations. And I have literally had teachers tell me, how dare you? You know, the, you shouldn't tell children to just drop all their expectations. We have expectations for children. I'm like, and that's part of the problem. That's why it's mm-hmm. hard to teach kids mm-hmm. because you're giving them a bar. Now, it's it's important to help children to reach for something, but that comes from inspiration. Right. And we can't give a person inspiration. I mentioned this, I mentioned this to my mother the other day. Uh I said, I don't want to be inspirational. And that sounds weird to some people because in the world that we live in, you have all of these influencers on social media and all of this. And this right. has to do with communicating with people. Mm-hmm. And I, my goal is not to be an, is not to be an, an, an inspirer of people. I would never go out and say, I'm trying to inspire young people. Inspiration is only something that a human being can draw from another human being. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't bottle that up and go, "Hi, I have this special inspiration here for you, and I'm going to give it to you." That is not <laughs> how it works. How it works is I do something aspirational, and they go, "Man, this guy's multi platinum record producer. He's worked on albums that's gone." five times diamond historical iconic you know work that he's done he's he works in television he's an actor he does this he's done all this stuff he's still in the entertainment business he's you know and that's inspirational see now that comes from directly that directly comes from someone who sees that like the gentleman that i was telling you about who wrote me that long thing 
he found inspiration in the way I behaved. Mm -hmm. And that's how, and, and so you can't bottle it up and say, I'm going to give it to this person, this person, this person. Each individual person has to find something inspirational in someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that you don't know where that's going to come from. Right. Do right. you know what I'm saying? I mean, somebody and could be an animal the places trainer. you least expect. <laughs> yes. So, mm -hmm. so my goal is to communicate who I am. My goal mm -hmm. is to clearly state, this is who I am. This is how I do the things I do. This is how I get through the day. This is how I move about. And it has allowed me to remain honest and self-aware so that when I get into a circumstance, I can come out of it successfully. I can come out of it with something that I, I learn new about myself. Now and let's talk about your success as an actor, because that has to have been incredibly difficult for you. I know that uh, when I was acting, um, the minute that agents would hear that I was a doctor, there would be these walls that would go up and they would say, well, you know, you can't possibly be an actor because, you know, you're scientific and you can't possibly emote and, and feel. Right. Right. And here you are in a very concrete world that right. doesn't necessarily understand the innuendos and the, the finessing of, of feelings and subtle communications. How did you find success? in the world of acting. So I was going to see if I had the book available to show you, but, but there's a, there's a, an actress who wrote a book about, about acting mm -hmm. and, and, and I'll, I'll find it and, and, and mention it to you at some point, but okay. what that book did was tremendous for my acting career okay so so the book basically defines acting as this um the biggest example she used was uh the biggest person as an example she used was the actor who did the rocky movies sylvester stallone sylvester stallone okay so when we watch those movies I, you know, I almost don't even have to say anything. When yeah. we watch those movies, <laughs> we get the same feeling every time we see the movie. No matter how yeah. old it gets, we right. already know what the ending's going to be. Right. But why is it that we already know what the ending's going to be? What it, is it because the way the script was read? Okay, written possibly. Uh, is it? The, the kind of semi-corny-ish way that it, it keeps, keeps running up to, okay, this guy is eventually going to win and yay, and you know everybody's going to applaud him. But there's something about that, about the ability to draw emotions out of people that don't belong there for the mm. person on the screen. Right. The method that she talks about using is to not not to to try to bring emotion out of people, but to try to bring empathy out of people. Mm -hmm. It's not my job to go on screen and show emotion. 
That's not my job. Mm -hmm. According to this actor, you know, coach, Mm -hmm. your goal is to pull empathy out of people. So however best you do that, it might not necessarily be because you emoted on screen. Right. It could be the progression of the story and how, Mm -hmm. and, and maybe they saw you down or they saw you in a circumstance. Or, and so it's how you best show your true self in that circumstance. So, mm-hmm. so let's, so, okay, so we get it. Acting like that is very exhausting. The, the, yeah. the, creed, the creed actor, uh, right. Michael B. Jordan, he's, right. he's said that on several occasions. That style of acting will drain you. Yes. Because you're not trying to emote. You're trying to draw empathy right and that is exhausting but it's rewarding <laughs> because yes, it when is. you do it you have made a movie that's going to make you money for the rest of your life right and we all know that that creed series of movies is going to make that man a billion billionaire we already know this now this is the way i have this is the way i act even as a background actor when i started that's what i did anytime mm-hmm. there was a you know, a, a, a prop that was around me. I would use the prop because mm-hmm. the act, the, the director would come in and he goes, "Hey, you know what? I know you guys are in the background. You know, you know, relax. You know, do normal stuff." Da, 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 da. And he, you know, they go through the whole list of things that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd be sitting in there amongst all these other actors who've gone to schools, they've done this, they've done that, some haven't done anything, but they're all like, you know, I'm an actor, I'm going to be, you know, out there one day, I'm going to audition. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, I wonder how many of these people are going to use their props. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, and I'm sure you've seen this. Yes. They don't touch any of those props. They just sit there right. like lumps on a log and they're like, am I going to get on camera? Is this the right, you know, angle? And and all I do is I sit there and I figure out how I'm going to use the prop. Mm-hmm. And every time I do that, I get featured. That's right. And the reason why is because I don't just have a bottle of water sitting in front of me that the directors or the set prop people put there. I take the cap off. I'm sitting there while the actor's doing his thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, this is great meeting. All right, uh-huh, whatever. Uh, I'll take a pen, and I'll just be like, okay, all right, well, I don't want to be here, whatever. Uh-huh. No, um, and so I'm doing all of that, mm-hmm. and guess what that does? It draws empathy. It engages. It engages people, and so mm-hmm. people are like, and I'll never forget it. The first time I did something like that, people focused on me. They were like, man, he's he looks like he's bored at that meeting. He looks like he doesn't even care about what they're talking about. So even though the act, the main actors are doing what they're doing, people are focused on me and going, this, is he, did he just drink some of that water? He, you know? And that's what you want to do as an actor. And guess what that doesn't take for me? It doesn't take me having to be emotional. Right. Which is something that I'm not good at anyway. I'm either smiling all the time or whatever, you know, so my whole thing is when I'm acting, I just use what's there, try to pull empathy from people. And when I do that, that's what works. And um, 
uh, there, I don't know when this independent movie is coming out, uh, and I, I'm really bad about <laughs> keeping track of these things. But I literally had a director walk up to me, and he goes, "I need for you to cry." Whoa! He said, "There's is... there, there's a dead person right here. It's a dead kid. You 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 know, we just found him, and you know what? It's you you know the family, you know the wife and the and the husband, and and you just found the kid. You're you're close with their family, and you you got to cry." And he just looked at me. He said, can you cry? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And <laughs> no one on set believed me. The, the primary actors, nothing. They were just like, you just going to cry just on the spot like that? And so guess what? I, I had the one memory that we just recently talked about. I had that one memory. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the biggest hurt that you could possibly have in your life. And I just instantly called it up and when i called yeah. it up i was bawling like a baby mm -hmm. and the director hugged me after the scene he told me get this man a trailer this guy <laughs> 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 this man is amazing you know i mean all this kind of stuff and uh and he even remembered me you know the next time you know for you know some more work so that's how how i'm able to do the job is I look at it as a job. My job is to draw empathy from the audience, is to get the audience involved, no matter how small a role I'm playing. And, you know, eventually, hopefully, you know, um, I get a much larger role, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some better auditions. I'm horrible at auditions. I'm horrible but, at auditions too. I, yeah, I, I can't. hate auditions. Um, and especially now, because they just always can't connect. They always ask you to do this on Zoom now, and they're just like, yes. well, you should do a virtual audition. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm acting in front of, you know, a bottle of water. <laughs> hey, yeah, so. right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I just, I can't make that I can't, connection. yeah. So, uh, but anytime I'm on set, I, I click into certain types of things that I teach myself. Right. That fit my personality or fit mm -hmm. my, my ability to, uh, process things and that's what i call it it's a process because i don't know what else to call it <laughs> well life's a process and just existing is a process and whether you have autism or on the spectrum and i mean my personal belief is that every single person on the planet is on the spectrum somewhere so it's 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 just a matter of recognizing where on the spectrum you're landing, you know. But it, it's all a process. It's just a process, Dr. and it's a dynamic process. Yes, I I tend to agree with that last comment you said that, that we all fall into some level of spectrum because we all have personalities, characters, and different ways of behavior, mm -hmm. and and whatever it is. I mean, autism is still. A discoverable, you know, <laughs> pro progress work, whatever you call it, and it's not a, mm -hmm. as clear as people may think. You know, I, I'm listening and to a lot of stuff. I love people who are on the spectrum. I love the shoot from the hip thing. I love the honesty and the simplicity of it. And I think that if everybody was like that, we'd have a much less complicated world. Well, it's a straight, straight shot. <laughs> yeah, well, Hurricane, ahead. Hurricane, I, you know, you brought up the the point of. You know, and, and you did as well, um, uh, Dr. Cheryl, is that the, the spectrum itself, right? It, it, the word, it's just the meaning, you know, yeah. it is a spectrum. Exactly. And someone who really focused on that 
uh, who's also in the in the autism community is Dr. Temple Grandin. Temple and, Grandin, I love her. And, I love her. And, and and we've and and me and Temp, uh, me and Dr. Temple Grandin have, have spoken on different occasions, but in in one particular occasion that we spoke, I think I was in Canada doing a book book signing or something, and, and she and she we talked on the phone and her pet peeve, if you will, <laughs> is when certain parents were coming to her <laughs> because she was very popular. You know, she's had movies made of her, you know, the whole night. Yes. And her big issue was, <sighs> I'm kind of putting her on blast and I don't want to do that, but I, I love her so much. But she said there would be parents that would come up to her and go, you know, my child made this drawing. You know, my autistic child had this drawing and she's just like, okay, that's great. So what are you teaching your child? Well, I'm just going to let my child draw and, you know, just let her do her thing. And it's just like, no, what are you, what are you actually teaching her to do? Like, like she's not going to be able to just draw her way, you know, through college or you right. know, whatever, you know, and if, if you've ever met Temp Dr. Temple Grandin, her, her life, her mom did not play. No, <laughs> she, you no. know what I'm saying. And Temple her, doesn't either. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Her mom was just like, "Nah, you ain't you ain't biting nobody today. You just, you go cut that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yep. that's not cool. You know, yes. trying to be, you know. So she, her whole thing is, yes, be kind to your children, but even if they have autism or some other, you know. Uh, delay of, 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 of being able to do something or an ability, don't coddle them. Yes. Actually challenge them to the degree that they can be challenged mm -hmm. and let them shine. Mm -hmm. Don't just, you know, allow them to just, hey, you know what, this is as far as I'm going to go and I'm good with this. Because mm -hmm. you never know what that child is capable of if you right. do not give them something extra to challenge them with, to, to give a little push. And, and, and my mother really identified with Temple Grandin's mother. Mm -hmm. She read Temple Grandin's mother's book and just went crazy. She was like, this is me. This is me all day. <laughs> and she did that with us. Mm -hmm. She always challenged us. And my mm -hmm. father was big at that too. And well, I, I think we we can talk about him too, because I think that he's on the spectrum and mm -hmm. he's just never been identified because in my mind he's he's the genius that right. that I want to be like at some point. But yeah, this the spectrum is is wide and uh just like Kia said, his son is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't negate brilliance. Mm -hmm. I, I see all children as brilliant, regardless of their circumstance and where they are. Mm -hmm. If we think that first, then they're capable of anything at that point. Uh, because you're thinking that this is who they are. So you're going to mm -hmm. give them that energy. And just because he's on that, his son is on that end of the spectrum, it doesn't matter. You can still communicate with somebody that's nonverbal. Yes, I know yes. a lot of nonverbal. Sometimes people on the they spectrum. communicate things that are very profound. Oh, listen, I know a lot of people that are nonverbal on the spectrum. I actually had a debate with one. 
Because she didn't like something that I said. <laughs> and so she got on her keyboard. She was like, mm-hmm, I got something to say to you. So mm-hmm. we have, and again, I love that. That's I enjoy that because it, what that should do is it should give other people who are not regularly uh, involved with people who are on these different ends of the spectrum a chance to see that we're just regular people having conversations. Right. This is not. This is not. This is not brain surgery. This is. This is not rocket science. This is we. We just want to have community. We just want to be able to to talk to people, and wherever we land on the spectrum, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, "Man, you're just a genius. You pick up stuff like that." You know, no one has to train you to teach you to do nothing. You just look at it a couple of times. Like, I, don't, I don't know how you do that with that piece of equipment. It's not designed for that. You know, I've heard that mm-hmm. so many different times, mm-hmm. but in my mind, I don't see limitation. I don't see, I can pull something, I can pull something apart in 3D just looking at it. Exactly. But that's the way my mind works. And I, and, and as frustrating as it is sometimes to live that way, because I tear everything apart. (laughs) I used to do that when I was a kid and I still do it. Mm -hmm. But I, I explode everything. Mm-hmm. And then I wind up having to fix it, put it back together. But my goal is to make it better. Okay. So, so that's literally how I do everything. That's how I create music. That's how I produce other people's music. That's how I uh, do marketing. That's how I do all the acting. I, I, I explode it. I, I, I look at it. And then I put it back together. And I go, this is how I need to do this. And I can do that in a split second. Now, I don't know. You know, mom says it's a gift. And I had to actually agree with that because I don't know where that often comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to admit to myself that sometimes, you know, we, we all have different gifts and we all have different things that we, we do that's impressive to another person, but that's mm-hmm. okay. You know, I, w- I was a top 40 DJ. You know, radio DJ. Mm-hmm. But the only reason why I was a top 40 radio DJ is because I echoed a voice that I had heard when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And the voice that I gravitated when I was a kid was uh, Frankie Crocker. Frankie Crocker was a radio DJ uh, up north, and I listened to him all the time. Frankie Crocker. He'd just come on the radio. Oh, this is Frankie Crocker. And he'd do this thing. So I just mimicked his voice when I was hired as a radio DJ, because I'd never been a radio DJ before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I mimicked his voice for the entire interview. And the guy was like, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so I, I, I've been able to work and to do things because I can take stuff apart, put it back together in my own way and then do that thing. So, mm-hmm. I've been, and again, I've been very fortunate in that because I do know the the struggles that people on the spectrum have because of their inability to communicate. And in in my circumstances, I've always communicated by echoing other people, mm-hmm. and that impressed other people enough to hire me to pay me to do something. And right. that's why I make it. Not everybody can do that, I suppose. <laughs> 
Mike, right. you, you mentioned something about their inability to communicate or the inability to communicate. I think it's just the inability to communicate as expected from, you know, others. Expectation. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's the biggest problem is that we always expect a certain way from certain people. It doesn't right. matter whether you're expecting or not. But there's expectation of how you're supposed to. What is yes. the normal? How we do things. You mm -hmm. just doing it your way. And and unfortunately, yeah. we might, when we say we might, not understand everybody's way because mm -hmm. we don't know how they do it. And right. so you have to adapt to that. And, you know, I think, Doctor, you said it the best, the differently enabled or abled, rather. Right. So so it's all that's what it is. It's a, a different way. I mean, you you said you expose things, you break things down and, and you put them back together. That's how you do. You 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 talked about the acting and the way you were describing it. It's the same way when you said, I'm going to be a producer and I'm going to put a list of things. You use that prop you know, to operate with it. So that's your thing. You set a goal, you work towards it. That's the way you do it. And you adapt to the situation as as needed. You don't think too much. I think that's the problem we all do. We keep thinking, overthinking, boom, boom, boom. It's stuck in our heads. Yeah, and we get all of it lost. And, and it's really, it's like, what is the task? I mean, when you go to work, spectrum or no spectrum, you go to work, there's an expectation. People want you to do one, two, three. Right. And then you're like all over the map. <laughs> you know, so so you just cutting that whole short thing and you're doing it correctly the way it is, the way you know it. You said something about the kids, you know, when, when you were a child, you know, how it was. It it is it is not easy, you know, for like when especially when you talked about the doctor's example and how parents come in, it's like I want my kid and you know, stop cuddling them. I think people cuddle people ah. today, regardless, <laughs> everybody's regardless. being cuddled too much, as yeah. opposed to like, yeah. hey, we gotta challenge people. You know, and people don't understand what's going on. And you have to like the challenge is what drives the, I guess, the diagnosis or, or the case. Like, like, I can't tell what you want if I don't push. Right. And so I want to push more. I'm going to challenge more and you're going to give more. And that's how it works. I mean, you you've touched on so many things. But but one thing that you said, you know, all across is that it's all organized. Yes. Everything to you is organized, like yes. one, two, three, step one, two, three, four. You I, know, I could use a little bit more of that organization. Exactly. Myself. I mean, at the end of the day, I think if we all kind of just focus on, on what we need to do and do it correctly and focus on things, we will have much better outcomes. I'm sorry, but that's reality. Yes. <laughs> you know, we, we're too all over the that's map. The and it, it serves you well. And, and you know, you're, you know, we talked about spectrum, different levels. But at the end of the day, like I actually... I, I don't share this a lot, but my, my brother-in-law is actually autist. I mean, full spectrum and, you know, he's got, but one thing, again, same rule. He is solid about his things. His times are his times. If he needs to do something, his, his clock works. He's going to do it exactly how it is. Nothing changes his mind on whatever he's planned to do. And he'll do it exactly right. the way it is. Can't tell mm -hmm. him you can't change things. No. And once he is set on it, that's it. <laughs> his trust is limited to certain people. If he, he has one way of thinking about it and that's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's it's and it's a lifestyle, and it's a there's nothing wrong with it. To be honest with you, I don't see it that way. I see it actually is it just him. That's the other thing. People are who they are, and we have to accept that fact. You know that you are who you are, and yes. And by the way, there is no such thing as normal. At least in my book. No. You know, yeah, or, everybody's or, crazy, and you just have to no. pick which flavor <laughs> you like. It's like ice cream, you know. That's right. I mean, again, I mean, listen, we could go on. And I mean, I, I have been quiet. I'm listening. But I mean, you've you've put in so much stuff, you know, into the the, the show and the audience. Yeah, but I, I, I do that. I tend to do that. 
it's been fantastic. It, it is awesome, fantastic. man. I, I, I've learned a lot. And, you know, I had one question, though. I mean, by the way, before I do the question, one thing you said is when you were in the military. You know, military yes. requires organization, discipline. Oh, so, I've yeah. got a story for you. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I was going to ask, like, how hard was it or how easy was it for you to, to, to work with, with the, the, the system? I, I think in a way, if you did exactly what you did and everything is organized and you follow, boom, 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 step, step, you're going to be just cool about it and you're going to move on through it. Probably did. I don't know. I mean, you so, obviously did somehow. <laughs> so, so, so actually this is perfect because it's a perfect segue into how the military worked for me. So <clears throat> my father and my mother were both in the Air Force and my father was an Air Force sergeant. And what he made me and my brothers do, and this is, this is actually a family thing. We, we laugh about this now, but he used to <laughs> make us, we made the bed made them with yes. hospital corners yes and 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 that part that you sleep under had to have the fold yes perfect and it had the you you, you couldn't slip it under that it, it was so tight so Did you bounce the quarter you could bounce the quarter off of that so so <laughs> military so, military so me, brat. yeah so me and my brothers made our beds like that all the time and and it got to the point where that's what we had to do every time we got out of the bed we had to make it like that uh, to the point where I would, when I was going to sleep, I would try to <laughs> slip up under that and just like, I don't want to make this anymore. <laughs> so, so that's where I came from. That's that's So I, in my mind, discipline was not necessary because I had already come from a circumstance where everything was regimented and disciplined. Now, so I get into the military because my parents were like, yeah, hey, you'll be fine. So... <laughs> <laughs> not knowing that I'm on the spectrum. So I get into the military <laughs> and I'm in boot camp. Okay. So <laughs> so this is what I should have been told about boot camp. <laughs> boot camp is designed for people who do not have discipline. <laughs> That's the whole point of boot camp <laughs> is to get you ready for the discipline you're going to be in. So if I could have skipped over boot camp, it would have been great. Instead, I had to go through it. And this is what happened because I'm already regimented. And I already have things lined up and organized and ready to go. The young men and even older men, middle-aged men that I met who were going through boot camp, I did not like any of them. <laughs> <laughs> not only did I not like them, I didn't get along with any of them. And, and part of the reason was I, I literally thought that they were stupid. <laughs> this going to be I'm just I'm putting it all out there it's going to be online just might as well just put it out there I literally <laughs> thought that they were stupid now I thought that they were stupid because they didn't know how to follow direct <laughs> a lot of them could not didn't know that did not know their left foot from their right foot right. they didn't know that if the if the company commander said, don't look at me, look past me, you know, they were still looking at him and they were crying. And I was just like, what's wrong with these people? Like, seriously, <laughs> it's easy for me to look past someone. It's, you know, don't look at my eyes. Like, no problem. I don't I don't want to look at you anyway. I'm, eh, you know. <laughs> so for me, it was the easiest thing to do when they gave me an instruction. I just did it. Mm -hmm. So now I'm in this company of people who I don't like <laughs> because none of them know how to follow any instructions. And they're, and here's the thing about boot camp: When one person gets something wrong, 
Everybody pays the price. Everybody gets punished. See, I didn't even have to finish that. Everybody gets punished. So I was like, why am I here? I'm always getting punished for what these idiots are not doing. So I got so frustrated. There's that word again. I got so frustrated that I went to the company commanders. I walked into the office by myself. They're both sitting in there. I walked into their office and I said, um, put me at, at the put me in another, put me in another boot camp company. Let, let me start off with a whole nother group of people. I don't want to be here anymore. These, no one here knows how to follow directions. No one knows, you know, I'm getting why am I being punished for their stupidity? I, I'm out. <laughs> I can I can follow instructions. They're not no, I mean, we got guys wanting to jump out of windows and they they, they Mr. Mamas, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> they looked and at they, you like what? and they looked at me like, how are we gonna <laughs> deal with this one? <laughs> So they did something I thought was absolutely brilliant. And I actually took a lesson from this to, to this day. So I complained, I complained that they're not doing this. They're not in left, right. They don't know what they're doing. And so they looked at each other and one looked at me and he goes, and he opens up his drawer. He's got this desk that he's sitting at. He opens the drawer at the desk and he takes out these two, what looks like rankings, you know, that, that you pin on. Right. He puts them on the desk and he goes, that's your new rank. And I go, what? He goes, that's your new rank. You're going to, you're going to put those on your, on your outfit and, ah! and that's, you know, get squared away. But that's your new rank because we're going to put five people under you. Right. And you're going to train them to do exactly what you know that they're supposed to do. Team leader. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So I took the rank, put him on, got squared away, walked out of the office, and the guys were like, yo, man, you got rank, yo, what you did, yeah. And I was just like, I'm picking you, I'm picking you, you, and you, <laughs> and you. And we're going to be a, be our own team, and we're going to do our thing. We're going to get ourselves squared away, and we're going to do our thing. So I trained those guys. We got a little thing. We every time we go around the base, we're we're like a little, you know, six of us just said, hand to left, and and then we were perfect. Everybody was like, yeah, <laughs> fuck man, we got it going on, you know. So, still getting punished because them other idiots is getting us in trouble. <laughs> so I go to the company commanders again. Oh, Same man. complaint. I'm like, you know what? Who's going to deal with these other characters? We, we're squared away. Why are we getting punished? He didn't even look at his partner this time. He just opened his drawer. Another rank. <laughs> <laughs> Took out some more ranks. He's like, that's your extra rank. <laughs> I was just like, okay, now what? He goes, now you're going to have 12 people under you. <laughs> oh, he, he's giving you the whole, the whole crew. <laughs> So I'm like, okay. So I get 12 people now. So this is you heard left and we're all tight, right? <laughs> now that's just that's literally like maybe I don't know, like like a like a third of the group. Because there's a bunch of us. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
a lot of them are seeing us and we're getting, you know, extra rank and we're doing our thing. And then people are like, well, maybe, maybe we ought to really get with it and concentrate and do what Michael is doing, <laughs> step up our game. So they started to step up their game. And when some of them would mess up and that would cause us to, you know, still get punished, I st I thought, I was like, you know what? Let me go to the person that's actually causing the problem and see if I can help him. So I'm, I'll never forget this one guy. He didn't know how to actually shine his boots because they don't give you polish to shine your boots. You have to figure out how to buff out the leather on your boot to make it shine automatically, to make it shine on its own. They don't give you patent leather boots. They have to, you have to shine them up. So mm -hmm. I actually, because his boots were crazy looking, and he was like, I don't know how to do it. Nobody wanted to help him. So guess what? I wasn't getting punished. <laughs> We're doing walked, this. So I walked over, dude. I said, "Hey, man, if you hang with us for at least a at least a couple of days, I'll I'll, I'll get those boots shined up, and you'll have a whole technique of how to do that on your own." Oh, Buck, man, I appreciate that. You know, my name is Buck because my last name Buckle. Said, man, Buck, I appreciate that, man. You know, helped him shine up his boots, got him squared away. Nobody got punished anymore. weren't any more fights in there. Anymore. Everybody was cool because nobody was frustrated that they were going to get punished again. And that's when I knew there was something about how I was disciplined that made a difference in other people wanting to be disciplined. Yes. And you cannot teach that. Yes. In some ways, that's something that comes with how you're brought up a little yes. bit of DNA, a little bit of who you are, but you can always improve on it. You can always turn it into something positive. Mm -hmm. For the for the, for a good chunk of the time I was in boot camp, it wasn't positive. <laughs> you know, I just thought I was the man, <laughs> and that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. I wasn't just the man. I was the guy who already knew what it was that they were trying to teach. Right. So they were trying to help me to be someone who could teach. And that's why when I went, when I finally got uh, uh, put into, when I finally made uh, the, the place I was going to be at in the, in the military, uh, my duty station. Yeah, that's what, I was, that's what I was searching for in my brain. <laughs> when I finally got a duty station, I was in a squadron. I was in an air reconnaissance squadron. It was like, People were like, how did you get an air reconnaissance squadron? Like, we all go into, like, submarines and <laughs> crazy stuff we don't want to be in in the Navy. And I said, well, I have no idea. But they send top people to squadrons because you're dealing with airplanes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I got to the squadron and literally, like, a month into the being at the squadron, the company commander came to me and he said, we think you're, we think you'd be a good officer oh, what so then they wanted to train me to become an officer from the ranks of you know enlisted enlisted mm -hmm. so they were teaching me all kinds of stuff they, it's it's actually how i learned about cryptology mm -hmm. Because they were teaching me how to do all of this coding and all this other stuff that nobody was doing in the 80s. Mm -hmm. How to create documents. 
right. on computers. Remember, remember the black screen and the green letters. Oh yeah, <laughs> and the matrix. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. And I remember kid computers being the size of a wall, and you had the key punches. The little dash, the little dash dots. Yeah. I would, that's 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 how I was. I would create in entire programs uh, and create forms for the enlisted um, people to fill out, so that they could you know get paid, so they could update their status, everything. Mm -hmm. I was doing that from scratch. And they were like, man, this guy, he just, we just give him a book and he just learns everything. You know? mm -hmm. And and the cryptology thing, of course, lasted down to this day because I have um, three, four certifications in crypto. Mm -hmm. uh, crypto crypt, cryptocurrency law enforcement, um, all kinds of you know, work that I do in, in crypto now. I even advise, I even advise crypto projects. I'm advising one now that's, you know, looking at trying to get about, I don't know, three to five million in, invested in it. Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of people are afraid or afraid of this process right. in crypto. But the one thing I learned is that the government has no problem with crypto. Right. <laughs> All, my, my, certifications come from homeland security so mm -hmm. i already know what the government wants to do <laughs> with crypto so i i advise crypto projects to not be afraid of of, <coughs> of being registered projects you know what i mean right. to go to the sec do all the right paperwork do everything you're supposed to do everybody's trying to you know go against the government and i'm like don't don't do that just just be just be someone who has a solution for the government and you'll be fine. But this is, but these are some of the things that I've learned how to do over time because of that hyper-focus that uh, I'm grateful to have. And my father has it too, um, mm -hmm. because he's a master electrician and he's almost 90 years old. You don't, right. you don't, you don't stay a master electrician just because you say you are. There's a right. test you have to take every, every year to keep that, going so right. he still has the wherewithal to take those exams and still come out on top and be a master mm -hmm. electrician that's amazing to me. absolutely absolutely now as people are looking at the neurodivergent community to bring them into community and into workplaces mm -hmm. what advice would you give two, twofold one what advice would you give the person on the spectrum and two what advice would you give the people looking to bring this neurodiversity into their community i'll say this as a person on the spectrum have have as much as you can, <laughs> have an open mind about who wants to help you, right? Try not to be so – try not to be too dogmatic about judgmental what it is that 
judgmental is part of it, but try not to try not to have any assumptions about how someone is doing something to assist or to help or to mm -hmm. make you, uh, uh, you know, uh, bring some sort of relief to that community. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I, and I've witnessed this with a lot of people on the spectrum who I am friends with, who I'm, you know, just, you know, know casually that there's a, there is a running suspicion of people who are not on the spectrum <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and what their intentions are. Right. That I'm telling you, I know that. Right. I know that for a fact. Right. And, and that doesn't, and that did not happen by accident or some form of imagination. You know, it, there have been things that have been going on in the autism community. Mm -hmm. That's not part of the autism community. Right. Uh, I dubbed it about a decade ago. I dubbed it the, uh, the autism cottage industrial complex <laughs> right? because that's basically what it turned into. Mm -hmm. People were looking for ways to make money off of something that they could turn into a a pity party, right? For their for their five hundred one c three, right? And and I was adamantly opposed to that, and I became involved with a lot of organizations and groups that were opposed to that. So that and put I, I think so that. that, that uh, crosses over into all of the realms of, of um, people with different dis abilities because I mean, especially right. in the deaf community, I yes. really see that as well. Yeah. So, so, so that that can stymie uh, any kind of growth and any kind of mm -hmm. uh, real cohesive type of community uh, growth in this space. Uh, but I, but I caution, <laughs> you know, my brothers and sisters who are, who are like me and to give people an opportunity to prove themselves, mm -hmm. to give, to mm -hmm. give these spaces an opportunity to prove where they're at and, and what it is that they, uh, uh, wish to help us to do, um, in terms of other people. The best thing I can tell another person is to really, really sympathize and empathize with people on the spectrum who've been through the ringer. A lot of us have been through trash. We've been through a lot of stuff and there's no way for us to recount how much garbage we've been through in mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, the autism cottage industrial complex. Right. Um, groups that try to take advantage of people on the spec no not just people on the spectrum but their parents their guardians people yes. who are taking care of them yes. uh, and what tend what has happened in certain circumstances is that sometimes those parents get to a point where they're like well my child even though they're on the spectrum they don't believe in what we're doing what I'm doing for them and, then, and so it creates even a, a even more toxic environment where now you have autistic adults, you know, saying, I don't talk to my parents anymore. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're involved in that cult autism, you know, group or whatever. Right. So, 
just for, for so for those people who actually want to help, those people who want to be involved and and to and to be helpful uh, to people who are on the spectrum, just be kind. Just have deep empathy and sympathy for anything that can trigger us because so much has been happening that has triggered us. And there are a lot of people who are like me that, that talk the way I was telling you I was mm-hmm. in the military, right? right? You know, they'll come into a space and they'll be like, oh, you guys are an autism you know, organization? Yeah, you're probably all idiots. But they're not, yes. they're not being yes. mean. It's just that they they have been experiencing the behavior of certain people, and now that's locked in, and then they have to get locked out. They have to. They and have it to does somehow. have consequences. It, has it absolutely major does major consequences because I had a patient that uh, was clearly on the spectrum and absolutely brilliant, and came in with the "you guys are idiots, and I can fix this" attitude was rejected and it ended up in, I had to 5150 this gentleman because he was fully suicidal and I didn't dare let him walk out of the building. And he, I mean, he appreciated, it wasn't completely against his will. I explained to him what I was seeing and where he was at. And, you know, he appreciated that I I gave him that opportunity to not take his life you know, but it had that much of an impact on him, the rejection that he got because he was just looking at these people as idiots that needed to be fixed. And that's, and and that's the danger that that particular experience right there is the danger because now you've got someone that has no hope. Mm -hmm. When you take hope away from a human being, it's not like, It's not like, oh, you know, they're hearing negative stuff all the time and then, oh, I'm just hopeless. No, the core of who that human being is, you're denying it in some way, shape or form. Yes. And even though someone like myself who uh, and and folks know me, know this about me, (laughs) I don't hug anybody. I'm not Mm -hmm. hugging. Mm hmm. You lose Mike? I think we froze. Well, we've we've lost communication with Mike, and this has clearly been a, a very deep and certainly interesting conversation. And uh, Kia had to to bounce out, and I totally understand where Kia is because he has a twelve year old, and they just come he's just come in off of a trip and the 12 year old is in the other room. The 12 year old is, is on the spectrum, very involved. He has his hands so full at this particular moment in time, because there's been disruption in the environment of this 12 year old. So, um, you know, frequently they'll have meltdowns and, and there has to be a reorganization for, for the child. So we appreciate that he was able to come on and join us even for a short while. And we will make a point of of bringing Kia back and we'll address this maybe even next week um, from the perspective of a parent raising a child on the spectrum, because it is a very different perspective. And for every Mike 
out there that is successful. Uh, as, as he indicated, there was a successful parent who understood what it was going to take to bring him to a point where he could be self-sustaining, where he could be a productive part of society and where he could be in community. That didn't happen without the tremendous efforts of the, the parents. So I look forward to bringing Mike back on to, to talk to us about some of what it takes to be the parent of a, a child on the spectrum. This is Autism Spectrum uh, or Autism Awareness Month. And so we certainly will be talking more about it. We thank you for joining us for this very important show. And we hope that you take some of what you heard out and really process it, think about it, and think about how you yourself fit into the community with people who are on the spectrum, whether you are someone who is on the spectrum, which again, I say, I say we're all on the spectrum somewhere, or whether you're someone who is bringing another person on the spectrum into your community and hoping to support them them well. So with that being said, any last minute words you want to throw out there, Hurricane? No, I mean, I, it's, listen, I've, it, it's been rich as a conversation. I mean, uh, you know, Absolutely. me putting any words would not add up to, to the source and, and, and Mike, you know, was, was very rich in what he gave us. And, and actually, uh, I had a show with an uh, you know a person who was actually a podcaster and who had suffered with the autism and uh, great personality, great show host, and um, I mean he was a guest on my side, but I, I also uh, promote his stuff, and it, it's just awesome to see the the success level and and that the ability, as you said, yeah. I love what you said, differently abled, and and I think that should be a new way of describing people who ha or who are dealing with things differently from what we expect them to be. And 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 mm -hmm. again, code and code, because we all have these things that that we think that we are perfect or we are one way or yeah. the other. Yeah. No one is perfect and we all have our own limitations. We all have our own, you know, perfectly, you know, working things yeah. and maybe not perfectly working things. We're all perfectly imperfect. <laughs> yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean that's life. Yeah. And uh but so so I, you know, this was awesome and and yes, it is it is a, an important topic. I have yet to I, I i've been trying to find actually uh an expert in autism to actually like you know like a doctor or someone who actually specializes in uh the autism spectrum and de defining mm -hmm. it to a degree and and we will get to that but mm -hmm. but definitely something that we need to to also emphasize on and, and make uh the the uh, i guess the effort to promote and share and educate because there is a lack of understanding of it uh yes. and especially when you have to have someone that is around you. And I, I think almost everybody has met or experienced or has someone in their realm that may have some sort of level of spectrum of autism, mm -hmm. uh, whether we know it or not. I mean, talking to Mike, I mean, he went to the military not knowing that he had, you know, this, he diagnosed yes. beyond that. So how many of us may not have diagnosed, you know, you know, or at yes. least known, you know, what, what we have yeah. until today. And, you know, interestingly really, enough, a lot of people, the military flushes out autism in a lot of people. They never knew that they had it until they hit the military. 
and, and listen, I'm, I'm listening to it like, you know, when you're like, you know, military, you're solid, you know, you want things to a certain way. I mean, we, we talk about OCD, we talk about stuff. Who knows? I mean, there's more to it. That's what we want the expertise, you know, yeah. to share with us like all these things and intricate things. And, and hopefully we can clarify for people what it means. Uh, it is part of life and we have to to understand it we need to cope up with it. i mean again you might encounter someone even if let's say you don't have anyone immediately but maybe at work maybe in a street yeah. maybe somewhere you know on a trip you never know not, not and, might you will encounter it, someone. yes i mean you, you, you encounter people who are on the spectrum every single day of your life that, and that is most of the time you don't even realize it no that is correct and so we need to be aware how do we how do we handle it how do we i mean sometimes someone says to you something and you're like oh you get all out of bend out of shape you know you have to realize that not everybody is functioning the same way that you think you're they're supposed to everybody's yeah. different yeah. My, my brother always says uh sis don't you have any filters <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but you're right some people don't don't have filters and even if you have filters what does that mean i mean you yeah. know you just choose to be cautious whatever some some are diplomatic some not some direct cut you know shortcut you know straightforward whatever Boom, it is shoot from the hip that's right you know like <laughs> hey shoot first ask questions later <laughs> you know? but, but you know these are like we laugh about it but this reality of things and yeah. the more we that's understand true. you know that we live in a society and that you know we share society we share the world with others and you, you know you have to always be be conscious at least be conscious be aware be sensitive and by the way this goes to almost every other aspect of life not just autism specifically but yes, autism exactly. is big i mean you know i think i think mike is just coming back <laughs> yeah yeah at least we're close with him so hold on let me take him back mike we we lost you but we were talking good stuff about you so it's all good you, you, you'll get to hear this you'll get to hear about this when you see the actual final cut so okay <laughs> but, but yeah, we, I, we were closing the show but but yes. definitely you know we we uh we enjoyed this uh you know i mean doctor go ahead you you, you do that the honors yeah you you were absolutely a, a, a gem dropping nuggets of of information and um in a way that everyone can understand both uh, those who are on the spectrum and and trying to to deal with negotiating navigating the waters yes. and those who in with whom they come into contact you you really laid it out very clearly and everybody can benefit from it and uh, you know as, as hurricane and I were just discussing you know, Everybody is on the spectrum and everybody is dealing with somebody on the spectrum. And I mean, it's just, it's just plain good communication skills. Absolutely. And in the case of people who are on the spectrum, we can learn to communicate in a way that's effective. It may not be in the same way that everyone else communicates, but we can learn to communicate effective. And that's why it is important to have these communities that have empathy for us because as neurotypical people, you guys are always communicating. You're always talking to people. You're always interacting and in different spaces. And sometimes we're not because we like to cordon ourselves off from major spaces because it's more comfortable to be somewhere mm -hmm. quiet. Never threaten me with solitude. 
Because <laughs> I'll take, solitary confinement would suit you quite nicely. Huh? I, I'll be good. You know, well, you're going to be in a ten by ten box. And, okay, I'm straight. Uh, works for me. Works for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yes, I spent two years out in the country on a ten acre ranch with a, a dog and a cat uh, during COVID, and I, some of the best days of my life. I was like really good. <laughs> So, so Mike, before we, we, we part, you know, you are part of an organization that helps people um, basically get uh, employment, gainful, you know, uh, revenue and income and then and really treat, train them into the uh, industry and specifically in the entertainment. What is the organization? Absolutely. Let me let me tell you about it. The nonprofit that I'm working with at the moment is called uh, YIC Unity. It is a 501c3 and that 501c3 uh, his mission is to uh, integrate uh, and train uh, adults with disabilities, specifically autistic, uh, to acquire the necessary skills to assist them in securing careers within the entertainment industry, uh, oh. earning, and not just that, but earning a competitive wage. So we help them uh, to train them put them in very specific uh, situations uh, with companies that are actually doing things in the industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, they will be getting gainful employment from here on in. Um, this, I love this organization. I am a member board of trustee. Uh, I give them tips. Uh, they read my comments when I, I'm on Twitter, when I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, they're very, very tactile. They actually interact with uh, the things that I discuss and talk about, especially when it comes to the entertainment industry, because that's what Perfect. we're doing. We want to make sure. But we also understand that these young people are very specifically good at being in these spaces because they do focus on the work. There's very little starstruck behavior. Yes, Everybody's just there to do a job and they always do, the, do that excellently. So the people who are the primary actors and stars and directors and they can do their work and they know that there's somebody that's there that's like, okay, I got this. You know, I'm I'm the best boom person you're gonna have. I'm the best, right. you know, lighting. You know, everybody there knows exactly what they're that that person's gonna come in and that job's gonna be done a certain way. So companies are learning more and more that hey, this is a resource that we need to tap into, and 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 these are brilliant human beings, and we need to uh, treat them so that they can treat them in such a way so that they are uh, can. Uh, take care of themselves, be comfortable, uh, make sure that they can take care of their creature comforts and all the things that any other person would need to do. Hey, let's, let's, let's use this resource. And that's basically what this mission uh, the, and goal is of the uh, uh, organization is why I see unity. It's literally spelled out with those letters dot, dot org. Why I see unity.org. And uh, I, I, can't say enough about this organization. It's just the real deal. 
and we will post the information on the site where you can the the, the website and and where you can reach out and learn more about YIC Unity. Yes, thank you. Absolutely, you know, Mike, we we really do uh, appreciate you. your your insight and your communication, and we we'd love to to have you back to talk further about the subject. We were saying that we're going to bring Kia back to talk about it from the parent uh, perspective and what Absolutely. it takes to to um, to raise a child that is yes. such a gift as you are. Oh. So again, we do look forward to, to having you back again and uh, we will continue celebrating all of your successes. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, I will be following both of you on social media because I, I really like you guys. You guys are very, very, very encouraging, very, very uh, humbling. Uh, aspiring. Like you guys. Very aspiring. aspiring. There you go. <laughs> very aspiring. I was paying attention. <laughs> there you go. There I, you I go. am drawing inspiration from you all. <laughs> Love you, man. <laughs> Love you guys. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm humbled and honored, and and I I can't wait to to hang out with you guys again. You have Likewise. been listening to Hot Mike. On the show Chatters That Matters, I am your show host, Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD, the celebrity doc with my co-host, Hisham Elimanti, Hurricane H. Remember to like us, share us, and leave a comment. This show is for you, and we want to respond to your needs. We're here to educate, inform, and entertain you. Chatters That Matters. Signing off. God bless. Chatter that matter.com. <laughs> <laughs>